Hey all, I'm Kevin Kaufman, one half of the Kevin and Fred Show. This is our podcast and we thank you so much for listening to it, where we bring you real estate information five days a week. On Monday, I interview an expert in the industry. On Tuesday, we bring to you the industry headlines, all of the happenings over the last seven days going on in the industry. On Wednesdays and Fridays, we bring you a segment called iMinute, which is all about the iBuyer space in a short one to two minute format. And on Thursdays, we bring to you our weekly business tips. So sit back, relax, enjoy the podcast. We would love to hear your feedback. Welcome to the Kevin and Fred Show. Hey guys, this is Kevin, and I wanted to take a moment to invite you to our event, NLA Live, stands for Next Level Agents Live. NLA Live is an event we've put on now for, this will be the third consecutive year. We're expecting as many as 800 attendees, uh, some of whom are the top producers around the country, other up-and-comers that you've never heard of. People, you're going to meet so many people that have been in your shoes, face the same problems you have, the same problems you deal with in your business day in, day out. And they know the path because they've been through the same obstacles. And we'll have some of the people that are a little further down the road as well. Uh, you'll be with your own people. It doesn't matter if you're a single agent, if you're on a team, if you're in a leadership position, a top producer, or an up-and-comer. Uh, we have got it all. Plus, we're going to have like a happy hour and some on-site activities that will ensure you have an ample opportunity to connect with the other attendees and really build your network. You'll leave NLA Live having met, networked, and formed alliances with other agents all around the country, and most importantly, with actionable items that you can take home to your business. So consider joining us. NLALive.com is the website. NLALive.com is our website. We'd love to see you there. Hey guys, Kevin here. And today my podcast is with someone not in the real estate world, uh, but I think you're going to really, really enjoy this interview. I know that I did. Uh, my guest is Sam Parr. Sam is the founder of something called HustleCon, as well as the Hustle, uh, the Hustle.co would be the name of the website. The Hustle is a daily newsletter with over one million subscribers. This is only <laughs> the the website. The business is only a couple years old. It's phenomenal how he has built such a massive subscriber base in such a short period of time. Sam is really smart. He's really witty. I think that's going to come across. Uh, and while, again, he's not in real estate, um, I think a lot of what he said brought a lot of value. A um, little bit more about Sam as he is, uh, he lives in San Francisco, born in Missouri, grew up in Tennessee, and then moved to California after graduating from college. He's basically worked for himself his entire life. Uh, everything from like a hot dog stand to get this of all things, an online liquor store, a roommate matching service and platform. And of course now a media company, which we really get into in this conversation. So he, like I said, he's the founder of the hustle, which is the, one of the fastest growing media companies in the country and HustleCon, which I told you about is a one day conference that teaches sort of, um, non-technical startup tactics to entrepreneurs. So I think you're going to really enjoy this. I would love your feedback on this episode. Cause again, it's a little different than normal, but so much power in this message, so much information and really good stuff. So would love to hear what you thought. And uh, without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Kevin and Fred show. All right, Next Level Podcast listeners, we're back. And uh, today, we are lucky. Uh, we're in for, you guys are in for a treat. I'm joined by 
Sampar, the founder uh, of The Hustle, thehustle.co. Sam, first of all, how are you doing today? And thanks a lot for being with us. Thank you. I'm great. Awesome. So um, first of all, for the the seven people that listen to this that don't know what The Hustle is yet, um, give us a little background on The Hustle. And I'd love to kind of talk about your background and experience too after that before we kind of dive into some of the other cool stuff that you've done. Yeah, so um, the grandiose description is that we're an information people that's uh, or an information company that's geared towards uh, youngish uh, entrepreneurial type folks. But when I describe it to my parents when we were starting, I was like, it's kind of like the Wall Street Journal, but for like 25 and 30 year olds. Um, <laughs> but basically, we have um, a daily email called The Hustle. And that goes out to well over a million people uh, and it lands in uh, their inbox each morning and tells them all the business news and tech news they need to know. And then like we were describing, we also have uh, a premium publication called Trends and that's our research arm. And in addition, we host huge events. So we we have tens of thousands of people who attend our events each year. That's fantastic. So and how long has uh, The Hustle existed? So... I can give you background in a little bit, but basically when I, I started the company like as a project where I would host a conference every handful of months to make money and then not work on it in between. And so I started doing that in 2014, but it became like a company in earnest in 2016. And so we'll be four years old uh, in about May. That's awesome. Now, I, was, I don't I necessarily give away the punchline, but uh, I've, listened, I've listened to some of your other talks and whatnot and heard you talk about like Ted Turner and, and seeing what, you know, what he built with CNN. Um, tell me, would you mind sharing with the listeners a little about the, the idea of like, okay, why go into to a, to a media company? Um, like what was the thought process behind that or in, uh, you know, where you hope to take that? Yeah, so I've been an entrepreneur before I knew what the word was entrepreneur. So I've always started stuff. I've never had like a normal job. And I had hot dog stands and online liquor stores and all types of stuff. And I've had mild success in some and failures in others. But around a time when I had just uh, sold a business, I started this thing called HustleCon, which is our big event. It's like a TED Talk for entrepreneurs. And I used content to make it popular. And around the time, I read Ted Turner. He's the guy who started CNN. And I'd read about Rupert Murdoch and all these like media companies. And I thought that you know, I don't care what you think about those people or Fox or CNN, but it's undeniable that they changed culture with information. And I thought that that was so inspiring and so neat. And I'm from, I live in San Francisco and I'm like really deep into the tech scene and Silicon Valley scene, but I'm from Missouri and I'm, and I'm from Tennessee. And so I identified very much so with Ted Turner. He was from um, kind of a little bit of the country of Georgia and Atlanta and I kind of identified with this outsider. And now Ted Turner has like, um, you know, there's like the uh, Time Warner Center and all that. That's where his office was. And I was like, this guy's badass. You know, he's a little bit of an outsider. He had a twang, kind of shot from the hip. But he built this, this massive media and information company and also kind of infiltrated Hollywood and New York elite and all this other stuff. And I was like, that's badass. I can do that. And, or at least that sounds like I want to do it. And it was really inspiring. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you think about that, like a guy from, guy from the sticks, if you will, ma- making it in Manhattan and in Hollywood and stuff like that. Especially with the impact that they've made. I mean, no denying that. Like you said, regardless of uh, if you're a CNN viewer or not, there's cannot deny that impact. It's it's huge. Um, tell us about where. So some of the things I found really interesting is, first of all, the hustle delivering the 
the information on business, which in a very, you use, just use the word youngish. I love that. I'm definitely youngish, not young. Well, um, it's not young in age, young. It, it's more like growth mindset people, which right. a lot of people tend to be, our audience is younger, but we are in no, by no definition, I hated when people call this like a millennial brand. It's like, no, we're agnostic. <laughs> we're agnostic of age, gender, race, location, everything. But we're dogmatic about like, we are built for people who are going somewhere. They may be further along the journey or they may be just starting, but they're going somewhere. And that's when I'm, when I, when I say young, that's typically what I mean. It's, you know, it's funny is that what I related to with that is the, the writing style, right? So the fact that I think I heard you say like being a good writer doesn't mean you understand grammar. Um, it, uh, there's, you know, how to help people get across the way somebody described to me is you're letting them know, you know how they feel, right? That's great yeah. copy. And it's like, there's a bit of that in the way you guys report on the news. Yeah. So I'm a self-taught copywriter. I, I spent, I basically locked myself in a closet for a long time and I would just take like famous books like Catcher in the Rye or Saturday Night Live scripts or famous sales letters. And I would write them all out by hand to learn how they did it. And I realized that direct response copywriting. So the stuff that basically marketers would send you a letter at your home in the 50s, 60s, and 70s and say like, hey, buy this encyclopedia or whatever. <laughs> and I like, I was like, how did they convince these people to like give them money? And like, what are the triggers behind that? And I kind of like, I, I learned those. And I said, we should apply this to more things. And that's kind of what we've done. And I'm by no means a journalist. I, I, have, I don't have formal training really. But I, I kind of just through trial and error and self-education learned how to use the written word to get my opinion across and convince people to read it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Well, that's what I love about the style of the way you guys report. It's not stuffy um, and it's like it's fun. And it, every once in a while, it kind of it almost like it pinches you to make sure you're still paying attention to what you're reading, which is something I, I find be, to be really cool because most newsletters, I mean, let's face it, you got a million subscribers or million plus people that are getting that email every day um, that you've got to provide something other than just like your regular old type of writing. So whatever you guys are doing, yeah, with that, it basically it was, it was the, like when I, and I thought about it in my head when we were starting, I was like, it's almost like we're like the information we want you to learn is good for you, but we're going to smother it in like candy or sugar. So you're like, it's like vegetables and peanut butter. It's like, we'll kind of trick you into reading it, even though it's good for you. Um, and this is something I stole from Ted Turner when he launched like Ted or CNN's like this, like legitimate thing. But when they started, they would do crazy stunts. Like they had, uh, when they, they were around for 10 years before they were popular and something they would do to attract users is, or viewers is they would like put a paper bag over a guy's head and it was like paper bag, man, paper bag, man's going to like read you the news. And they like did little things like that. And I was like, okay, I can be like, silly is not the opposite of professional. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I, I think it's um, a buddy of mine used to call that red flag marketing. Like in a way, it's like, it's like you're waving the red flags. Like, hey, come over here, check this out. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's just you catch people. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you could refer to it as interrupting their, their normal pattern, if you will. But exactly. Yeah. I, you know, I love George Carlin. And when I was really young, I saw this, thing, this special that he did. And he used to talk about writing. And he was like, great writing, it cuts through you. And he goes, it's sharp and it cuts you. And I was like, that's awesome. I want to be like that. And that's uh, what I've tried to do. That's awesome. So I, I realize that this question could be wide ranging, but 
how on earth do you have a mil- how do you build to a million subscribers, especially in such a short period of time? Yeah. So it took us, uh, maybe on our third, either two and a half years or three years in, we hit a million. And in the first year we got a hundred thousand. The second year we got 500,000. And then the third year, sometime between two and three, it was a million. And the way that we got our, each time was different. So the way we got our hundred thousand was, it was just me and my um, partner and, and just us. I just blogged like a madman. And I got loads of subscriber or loads of uh, unique viewers, like uh, page views and, and site visits to our blog content. And we would convert a small percentage of them into subscribers. But I was pretty good at getting traffic. And we just got a lot of traffic and did a really good job of converting them. And that's how we got our first 100,000. So blogging and word of mouth. And then to 500,000, we had this ambassador program. And we have like 20,000 ambassadors who have each referred like 20 people. And that helped us scale. And then we really mastered the business. So I know how much revenue we make per free subscriber because we have advertising in our email. And so that meant I knew how much we could spend to acquire a new customer. And we got really good at spending. Awesome. Okay. And now you just mentioned the advertising. You guys do something, I don't know if unique is the word, but it's definitely not as common when you're charging, when you're working with your advertisers, you actually charge them uh, by how many of your emails get opened as opposed to the industry standard of how many people are getting your email every day or the number of sends. Yeah. And so the, the vision day one, like I said, it was like this whole Ted Turner thing. I'm also heavily inspired by SoftBank, which started out as a tech publication in Japan, which a lot of people don't know. And then they would like start companies based off of which advertising sold best. And that's that's kind of like my dream. It's mind blowing. That, that to me is mind blowing when you look at what SoftBank is today. Yeah, it's crazy. And so, um, I, 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 that's what I wanted to do. I was like, I want to do an, have an audience and make money off that audience with advertising to, to give us profits to create more stuff. And I was figuring out what's the best way to do this. And I read a whole bunch of, I researched like crazy and email advertising seemed like a really great way to start doing that. And so that's why we started with an email newsletter um, amongst a few other reasons. And we're definitely not the first to do it. I mean, there's a lot of newsletters that are big like Thrillist, which is a billion dollar media conglomerate started out as a newsletter, but we definitely had to like, I think we're a little bit pioneers in it in that we built our own technology to do it. We have our own sales force. Like we built everything from scratch because nothing out there to this day exists that allows you to do that in a really efficient way. And when I, when I started in the industry, I didn't know anything. I mean, I still don't know a lot, but I, uh, people would charge per 1000 subscribers. So if you have a thousand subscribers, you can get, depending on who they are, you can get anywhere from $10 to a hundred dollars per 1000 cents. And that's how we started. But when you think about that, that's kind of stupid because advertisers don't get value from the send. That's just a signal that like, that just shows like roughly how many people are going to view your stuff. Really the value is how many people see it and that's cost per open. And so we kind of changed our business model to be cost per open. Um, in our case, it's quite simple because let's just say that we charge, I'm making these numbers up, $50 per 1,000 cents and we have a 50% open rate. Really, that just means um, $100 per one thousand, uh, you know, per, per, open. per open. Yeah. And so th- it was easy for us to switch, but the industry is stupid. They still do cost per 1,000 cents in, for in most cases. 
does maybe not I, I don't know nearly anything about your industry compared to you but is that is that because of a lack of a transparency or or like you don't have to prove it type of deal and I so think the it, way it started the, the way it started is it was hard to prove and so people just agreed that cost per thousand cents was a, a fair metric but now like we we have so much information on who views who clicks who buys all this type of stuff and the the advertising and media world is kind of old school and they do things i think in very silly ways i mean some of the old school stuff is great but some is not and that was just one of them that stuck and we said no screw that let's do it this way and our advertisers we've worked with thousands of advertisers that they, they they like that better does do you um do you catch any shit from like peers for doing it that way does that uh or is it or is it just no that's just the way they do it and we do it this other way the second one um, it took explaining to do, and it actually basically if if we only we only charge you for how many people see something versus the other way around where like it's like well we'll get roughly this many views but we'll get for sure this many cents so pay us on cents and that was better for us we made a lot of money that way but for a long term success it's best the uh, cost per opens I think it's that's more fair. Awesome. Okay, you mentioned something about building some of your own technology. I think I had read before you guys built your own like email sending technologies did i hear yeah, that right we did um so like the way that we have it let's just everything i'm going to say is is either ballpark numbers or i'm making up but it's still point still stands true let's say we have a million subscribers um and we charge let's say twenty dollars per one thousand let's let's use uh sends for sake of argument that means we get 20 grand for every time we hit send but a lot of people can't afford 20 grand a day and so what we did was we divvied it up and so like target will advertise with us and they say we want to reach 20 million sends in the next 60 days so we go okay we'll 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 send part of the list your stuff this day part of the, the another part of the list another day and then we'll slide in this advertiser who wants to spend four grand on this day so like it divvies people up and we could also divvy people up based, based off of interest, what they've clicked, things like that. Additionally, all of our ads, there, there's no such thing really. I mean, there are a few ones, but they're, no, they're not really good. There's no really good ad network for email. And so what that meant was we had to create all of our own ads. And so we can send a link. We, we close a deal with our advertiser. They go, Target says, all right, we'll spend a million dollars with you. And we're going to send... 10 ads and we send them a link. They tell us all about their business and what links they want to send to people and stuff like that. We write all the ads, we send them back their custom link and they approve the ad work. And then that automatically goes out to the right people in our email list. Additionally, what we did was we've never raised venture capital. And so we partnered up or um, linked up with a bank and we can get loaned money against our accounts receivable because sometimes these people take 90 days and so all of that is all tied into our email sending technology. Wow. Okay. That's impressive. It's um, pretty neat. It's really cool, actually. Have you guys been approached or do you, do you let, do you not, not like give it away, but like, do you let other companies use it or lease that from you? No, maybe one day, but I learned early on, we got to stick to our business and what we know. I think eventually it could be interesting. And a lot of big companies have wanted to buy us to use this. And I think that's a great deal for them. But uh, at the moment, no, we're a small team and man, having a, a software product adds a lot of different, it's, the economics are totally different. And so we just haven't done it yet.
Yeah, no doubt. Um, that's interesting. That's, that's kind of like, I could see a company trying to buy you in basically to get that one thing, um, whether or not they understand the value. I'm sure they understand the value of the subscribers and whatnot and the readers, but there's, I'm sure there's some people who look at that technology as its own thing that, you yeah, know, so like it's to like, acquire. If it's what, 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 what we can do is, and we've never, we've gotten close, but we've always walked away. But basically, um, a company that's a let's say a huge media company that has a hundred million subscribers or email addresses we say like give us that and we'll turn that into revenue that you've never even thought about making money off of. uh, you know like it, we could monetize that that in ways that you've never done yeah that's i mean that's it's the upside of that is huge um so give me an idea can you just for scale because i know you started this um how many how many folks work inside your company at this point yeah so full time it's it's a small team any anywhere between 20 25 and 30 people at any given point right now um we make seven figures a month in revenue um i think that there's a path to get to 100 million in sales uh, in the next handful of years that's our goal um at first when i started the company i was like i want to hire a ton of people and then once i learned about managing people. I was like, yeah, I want to <laughs> not hire, like I'd rather hire like quality people than, than lower quality people, but a lot of them. And so I try to keep the headcount slim or lean. Yeah. That's a uncomfortable, uh, familiar laugh of feel of, yeah, that's, you know, people are, people are, are a, they're amazing and beautiful and the way you, you can scale a lot of times. And it's definitely the thing that can keep us up at night uh, the most. It's, There's no doubt about that. It's horrible. I'm thankful. I, we hired a president. My, we have, I have a right-hand man who, in a sense, I'm kind of his right-hand man, but he kind of operates the people side of the business. And it's been a lovely partnership. But when it was me being like the guy, it was not my skill set. I think a lot of people, myself at least, but a lot of peop- other people don't understand that starting and operating is different. Yeah, you know, so completely different. There's a book I read uh, middle of last year after hearing the author speak called The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. And he talks about like the four different hats you wear in the, you can wear in the business. One of them being, I want to say it's the artist, the manager, the operator, and then the I'm gonna, owner. I'm going to write that down. What was it called? I'll just send you a copy, man. I'll, I'll put it. I literally have one next to me right now. It made That's that awesome. much of an impact. I'll, I'll mail you one today. Yeah. Like we, I partner, you know, Adam Ryan is the guy, he's our president. And like, my life is awesome now. And for a long time, it was not awesome. As you, um, so uh, let me ask you this. How how long has he been? How long has Ryan been there? Adam, his name's Adam. I I went to high school with him. I've known him since we were 14. He was my first or second or third hire. Okay. Uh, So he's he's been there a while. So what, like, what are the things that you've learned? Obviously can't give, give me the whole thing, but like, in a nutshell, as your company has grown, you're, you know, from not just a revenue standpoint, seven figures monthly, uh, up to, you know, 25 to 30 people. What are some of the things that you've learned business-wise that maybe you didn't expect to learn through this type of business? I'm not, I, I used to think I was a good salesman. I'm not. Um, like, you have to, like, put up with a lot of bullshit. You got to use jargon, unfortunately. And you kind of got to play a little bit of the political game. That's not what I'm great at. So I've learned that it is important and I'm not the guy to do it all. I mean, I can do it, but I'm not the best at it. Um, I learned that, uh, 
personally, I'm, I'm really fucking good at launching stuff. I'm really, that's my skill set. I'm great at identifying opportunity and saying, if we did this, this, and this, we, it will work. And I have a high hit rate. I, I miss a lot, but I have a pretty high hit rate. Uh, I've learned that, um, um, man, like this whole entrepreneurship thing and business thing, it's an emo, it's an emotional game. It's not really that hard. Like, Creating a business intellectually, I find it to be not challenging at all. It's 100% emotional, or at least 80% emotional, 20% intelligence. Um, because I've, I've met so many incredibly wealthy people who, <laughs> who aren't that smart. Like, they're not that, I mean, they're smart, but they're, no, they're probably not like significantly above the average person. But maybe they're very brave, or they're very stable, or they're like confident, or something like that. And that is huge that is really important and so we have this thing called HustleCon, and we've had 500 speakers throughout the years and so founders of WeWork, away travel casper uh, the biggest software companies you could think of uh the founder of pandora all these like amazing people many of whom are billionaires and i get to hang out with all of them and i when i talk to them i'm like yeah you're not that special i mean some of them i talk to them and i'm like oh my god i'll go to war for you other times i'm like you're just a guy, you're just a woman, you're not that special, but they're just uh, kind of bold or yeah, confident enough. Like they had enough balls to, to actually do it. Uh, yeah. For lack or of- they like a lot. And oftentimes they still doubt themselves and they have, in fact, all of them, everyone I've met, they still have the same doubts, but they're like, yeah, I'm really afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I, that was something I noticed early my real estate career, I was really lucky in order, I got the opportunity to be around people that had, have had massive success and made millions and millions of dollars in real, in their real estate business. And one of the things I noticed is like a lot of these people were not, I would not consider them to be, you know, really overly intelligent. But the common thing I, I saw was they had a, what we'd call, what I'd call time on task over time. So they, they had a lot of time. So time was kind of like their leverage piece and that boldness piece that you just mentioned, like not afraid to, to, to gamble, you know, to push all the chips into the middle, whatever you want to call it. Uh, not afraid to live on the edge and be really bold with something that uh, may or may not be received. Well, afraid, not afraid to take those risks. Right. And those real, two I think things, real estate's a, uh, the best example of that, because I'm dabbling now in real estate. I'm just getting into multifamily investing and things like that. And I've, sought out very savvy real estate investors just to ask them questions and real estate is like tech is different my company we're kind of tech but we're not that tech i had to learn all of it and oftentimes i feel way out of my like way out of depth i'm like oh my god i don't understand this and then i'll talk to people who have software companies i'm like man this is way over my head like i I just don't i feel like i don't have the brain power to like grasp this but then i'll meet real estate guys that i'm like this is not intellectually really that hard at all i mean this is just numbers you're just, you're courageous. And I think real estate is probably like, intellectually speaking, if you look at like what the upside is in terms of wealth creation and the intelligence, intelligence needed, it's like the best ratio of like low intelligence and high upside because it's so straightforward. Like literally everyone needs a place to live and like it's just, a, it, it can be basic arithmetic. Do you know what I mean? But you just have to be really courageous. Yeah. You know, there's, man, there's a lot of truth in that, Sam. Uh, no doubt about that. There's a lot of truth in that. Um, hey, can we go back? I'd love to hear more. Um, 
on SoftBank, you know, if you could, like from just from, and I say that not because I want to talk about them on this podcast, but from a, I think that directly relates to trends uh, with where you guys are going with trends. Um, tell me, like, do you see that similar vision for, for you guys? Like, is that exactly the game plan you're following and that, that you'd like to take? Yeah. So I have a little bit of an entrepreneurial ADD. And so I was trying to build a company where I have, where I personally have the ability to try a lot of new things. And I read this, what I, 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 like I said, I'm a research nerd. I love reading history and I love deconstructing things in the past. That really excites me. And I read this article written in 91 and it was for the founder of, of SoftBank, uh, his last name's son. And he basically said, uh, when I started the company, basically what they did was they um, were, um, imagine amazon.com, but they only sold software because the cloud didn't exist. They would sell software and computer parts and things like that. And then at, at year one or year two, he created the PC magazine of Japan. And he grew it like crazy. And this was a different period, but people were buying magazines and he would see which advertisements were the best, like which products had the most sales via his ads. And he goes, all right, let's invest in that company. Let's start this. And he used all this profits to do that. He also had a trade show and he did the same thing. He would go to the trade show and sell other people's software and see which sold best. And he would either start companies similar to it or buy or invest in those companies. And I felt that that was really fascinating because it allowed him to be creative and bold and try a lot of different things. And, uh, I'm just copying him kind of. Yeah, that's cool. So tell me, tell me more about trends, like it, with what you see, um, with, with, you know, kind of what the thought process is there outside of what you just said and kind of what the future holds for us. Yeah. So trends, uh, trends.co it's our, it's our first product that we're selling to our audience. And when I was, I was the kind of the business, the email business was kind of humming and doing well. And Adam was running it and I would go off and explore new ideas on what we can launch our audience. And I would research companies like crazy and create all these Excel sheets and databases and find patterns. And I would do two things. I would try to figure out, I would do case studies in my head and I would write them for myself and see which companies operate well and what makes them tick and what makes them special. So I would kind of try to master something almost like what a banker or a lawyer does when they're either buying a company or taking a company public. I, I would do that on my own. And then what I would do is I would look at trends using loads of different tools and data sets and try to predict what's going to be popular in the next couple of years. And I started doing that in order to help me find out what I wanted to launch. And then I just said, wait a minute, we should do this for other people. And then I kind of learned about B2B media and information services like Bloomberg. And, and there's dozens and dozens and dozens of these companies. And I realized, oh, wow, this could actually be a huge multi-billion dollar revenue stream if we pull this off. And so that's what we launched with Trends. And so Trends right now, it's we purposely made it affordable. It's $300 a year. And we have analysts who go out and do case studies on companies. And we've also built or we built and are in the process of improving technology that lets us see which items we think are going to be quite popular in the next handful of years. And we just publish all of our findings. And we have a group online where we discuss them with our subscribers. Wow. Okay. That's cool. Um, you just sold the subscription by the way. Um, and just, man, I could see this going so many different ways. And so feel free to smack me down on this, but I mean, you could go every, everything from like 
creating a hedge fund to what well, I guess that's what SoftBank is at this point anyways. Yeah. To, to just investing for keeping this, you know, sort of in-house and let, letting the readers do with the information as, as they may. So we're doing that one now. Yeah. I, Sam Parr, personally, not our company. I occasionally will angel invest in interesting things based off of our findings. Um, and so I do that now. Ultimately, in the next short, in relatively short term, three, four, five years, I want our company to invest or launch companies like this. Um, or they will help us identify which companies we should buy. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, you, you ever it's a very selfish business. It, but you know what though? <laughs> selfish, sure. Uh, but it also could be used. I, I literally started thinking, gosh, I could be using that myself as you said that. Um, so selfish, but also can help others. Um, and you start talking about trends like that. It makes me think of a, of a quasi mentor who I've never met by the name of Adam Robinson, who is just really great at spotting trends. Um, guy, he's the co-founder of the Princeton review and advises hedge funds and whatnot, a super smart guy. Um, but he's talked a lot about, you know, just seeing trends develop before they're blatantly obvious to everyone else. Yeah. And and so we, we go ahead. No, I was gonna say that's just a skill that's extremely valuable. And that's only part of the value. So one part of the value is we try to find trends. So for example, we crawl the web and find all this data and we found out that keto cereal, like loads of people were searching for keto cereal. And so we said, we think this is going to be hot. And now there's a couple of companies that have launched keto cereal and they're already quite big. Um, and so that's like a example of trend spotting. But then on the, on the flip side, I'm in the process of writing a report on the hotel industry. And I knew nothing about the hotel industry, but I went and dived deep and I figured out like, okay, so like the three metrics that matter most are occupancy rate and uh, average revenue per available room. I was like, okay, so those seem like the two metrics that you have to crack in order to have a successful hotel. Now let's look at the top 10 hotels and let's read all their annual reports and figure out where are they failing and, and where are there's, where are their opportunities that, collectively they all kind of agree on and i'll write about that and so that's where we kind of do case studies um so we do trend spotting and we'll do case studies on let's say the hotel industry or right now i'm also doing one in the fast food industry and a common theme amongst them is it's really hard to retain fast food managers and it's that's like a challenge that a lot of these companies are are living or dying from and so even if you are not in the fast food industry I can think to myself, okay, fast food stores, like fast food companies, like what can I apply to my company or my life that I can steal from my, le- or I can learn from them. And so for example, like, man, I, I'm, I should launch a job board for fast food managers, or maybe I should teach, teach people like train fast food managers. And, I, and these companies can retain me or, or where else is, okay. So that's a huge opportunity is retaining managers, even though they're like blue collar workers, Maybe I should do that for the trucking industry and help truckers get better jobs. And if I can teach companies how to retain those drivers for a little bit longer, I'll save them a lot of money and they'll pay me a lot of money to do that. Do you know what I mean? So like we help people find all these opportunities. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's super fascinating to me. So, that, so that's cool. So is that like a daily, weekly, monthly? We're, 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 we're tinkering with the um, frequency, but we have a team of analysts here, uh, half a dozen analysts. And what we do is uh, a lot of the this, this stuff lives in our, our, our private group and we'll share insights on them. And then it's basically, I hate saying this because it sounds so trivial and small, but it's really just a weekly email where we share all of our insights. It's almost like 
um, like I'm not in the real estate industry, so I don't know what, but, but I, let's say I'm not in the real estate industry, but I want to get into it because I'm very bullish on, on real estate. I don't, because I'm not in the industry, I can't spend six months seeking out problems that you guys have. So our team is just going to go out and talk to you and find the problems and then tell our audience. And so we do that uh, uh, for the longest time or since launching, it's been weekly. Now we're trying every other week and we're making it more in depth, but uh, we, we tinker with, with the frequency. That's fit. That's fantastic, man. Well, uh, Sam, I, I won't take up too much of your time. No, uh, Luke, this is my job. I'm, I'm here to uh, talk and hopefully spread the word and provide value. Yeah, no, uh, you've absolutely done that. Um, I can't wait to go back and re-listen and, and jot down my notes um, from the stuff that I've heard you say that have kind of had a, had a few ahas already. Um, before we go, let, let me ask you this. So the hustle.co and trends.co for anybody who wants to check out what you guys are doing, those are the two URLs people should go to. Is there anywhere else? I follow you on Twitter. That's where I first kind of uh, actually found out about the, uh, the hustle was, was just reading your tweets. Um, where, where, what's the best way for people to catch up with you? So if they want the daily email, which is awesome, sign up, go to the hustle.co and sign up. If they want trends, go to trends.co and uh, sign up. What, uh, we'll actually give you guys a 50% off code. What's a good code that you want to use? What's a simple word that you guys will remember? Uh, how about just three letters? NLA? NLA. Yeah. So next if level you, agents. If you, if you, um, go to trends.co and sign up and type in NLA, we'll give you 50% off. And so they can sign up for trends. And then of course, if they want to see some of my crazy ramblings on Twitter, the Sam Parr is my Twitter. All right. So at the, I'll make sure this goes in the notes too. Um, that's awesome. What do you, what's the most misunderstood thing about you or your company today? When we started and we still face this as people said, uh, uh, the CEO of a very large media company said a daily email will never be bigger than a million dollars a year in revenue. And we crushed <laughs> that in our first year and we do well over that each month. So I don't think people understand that what we are doing now is the, is the tip of the iceberg and that there's way more behind the scenes that we're working on that exist. Uh, what they confuse about me, I would say um, uh, I, I'm pretty introverted. I don't, I, I hate talking in front of our company. I hate, uh, I don't love going out and networking and meeting people, which is weird because I have a conference company. And I'm horribly disorganized and hate structure. Uh, I hate it so much. <laughs> you and I have so much in common. That's yeah, awesome. I mean, I, I like to shoot from the hip. And it's gotten me in a lot of trouble throughout my life. Um, I try to embrace the good parts of that and fix the bad parts. But I'm, uh, I'm absolutely a liability. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Um, I, I've got to... I'm going to try this one and, and I'm sorry I didn't prep you for this, but I love this set of questions that I completely ripped off from Tim Ferriss, which is three questions. He's, um, he's one of our investors, by the way. Is he? Okay. So yeah. um, you can tell him I, I stole this from him because I absolutely love these questions. Let's go three, I got three questions for you so, and we can answer them in any, any order. One, tell me one thing you're excited about that's really exciting to you. One thing you have changed your mind on, whether that be in the last year or two years, uh, but something you've actually changed your mind on. And the third one, some, what's something weird about Sam Parr, whether that's like a hobby or a yeah. habit, something that most people don't know. So those are my three. Excited. Okay. The, I'll give, the first question, I'll give you two. And this is the first one. I'm not just saying this because it's this real estate, but I'm very bullish on 
and I don't mean this as a disrespectful thing, but I'm on tier two, tier three, and tier four cities. So I put like LA, New York, and San Francisco kind of in the top category. I think that people are going to ru- are beginning to run away from those cities into yeah. the Nashvilles, Charlotte, Austin, um, like those types of cities that were typically not like prestigious, but they're they have wonderful quality of life. I'm very bullish on those cities, and I'm looking to invest in cities like that. Um, the second thing that I'm very excited for, and it goes with the second question, which is what did I change my mind on? Remote work. When I started the company, I thought remote work was a horrible idea. And I don't actually entirely think it's the best idea, but it's unstoppable at this point. And I believe that in the future, a lot of uh, work workers will be remote. And, I, and that's why I'm bullish on um, like those higher quality, quality of living, living cities that aren't maybe in the tier, first tier. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I love that. Um, all right. And then what's something that's weird about you? Maybe something not everybody knows um, about, about Sampar that's just a little yeah. odd. I'll give you a few. Uh, the first is I'm very, very, very frugal. I track my spending like a hawk. Whether I have a lot of money or, or whether I didn't have a lot of money, I, I'm like stupidly frugal. Um, I uh, re- collect old motorcycles and I like old cars and I've driven my motorcycle across the country a couple times. Um, and I'm an amateur beekeeper. Um, so I've got 10,000 bees and I harvest honey from them. Um, what else? Is there anything? Is that an environmental thing or is that trying to save money on, on honey? I, I made a, I'm, I'm pretty like, whenever I get into something, I make like checklists. Like it has to meet these requirements. And like, I wanted a hobby that didn't cost a lot of money because I didn't want to stress about it. I didn't want to have to spend loads of hours on it or I could spend a lot of hours on it, but regardless, it would still exist, exist. And I want it to be outside. And I, che- I just researched a hobby and beekeeping kind of fit that. Oh man, that's awesome. That is the, um, that's the best. Yeah. And maybe one last thing. I, uh, I think I'm going to live to be like 120 to 150 and I'm trying to like build my life to reach that. That's awesome. I'm really fascinated by like longevity. You said you're, you, uh, you, you do listen to anything like Peter Dumandis does or, uh, Dave Asprey. Those, those are the two guys I hear most commonly talk about living past one one twenty, anyways. Yeah, those guys are nuts. I think that Dave Asprey guy uh, is cool and crazy, and I like that. I, I don't know if it has to be that extreme, but we'll see. I think that I think I'm one generation too soon to make it a sure shot, but I think the people who are born now, like as long as they don't get hurt, they will totally hit 150. Uh, I I think so too. I think there's sort of no doubt we can't be more than ten to probably just ten years away, is my guess. Uh, Though Tim Ferriss and Peter Atia would would definitely disagree with that, they're they're a little more bull, uh, not so bullish on the longer lifespan uh, as much as having a better health span. I think is what they what they Wait, refer to. What do they think? Of. They think that they will live long. That they they think the ability to live to say one fifty or or beyond is is not nearly as attainable or as close to being attainable yet um, as I think some other folks like say Peter Diamandis or Dave Asprey might say it is. Um, but they're also, uh, they talk about it and probably more so Peter Atia. I say that cause his, his podcast is specifically about medicine, um, talks about just like, Hey, being the absolute healthiest and expanding the amount of time you have where you could, like, we're probably where you feel today, like healthy, like you can do things. You're not limited by, um, by injuries or by age, things like that. Yeah, well, that's cool. I would love to 
for you to form me the links where they talk about that because that's very interesting to me. I wouldn't say I'm incredibly well versed on it, but um, and I, I definitely think someone like uh, uh, Tim Ferriss is. Look, if you're rich, it helps. Uh, yeah. If you're rich, you don't have to work a lot. That helps. Um, but that's cool. I'm really into that stuff. I I don't want to live to be 150, but feel horrible. But uh, I think that like for sure, I can be in my 90s and 100s and feel okay. Yeah. Listen, man, if Brad Pitt can look the way he does at whatever age he is today, like there's got to be a chance for us to still feel good at 90, right? Or a hundred, whatever that looks like. Yeah. He, well, they, he's got the secret recipe of money, but, uh, I think, yeah, it would be, he, it'd be nice if, if everyone can access that. And, and I, I think about that a lot. Yeah, that's cool, man. Well, Sam, I appreciate you taking the time out today. I'll shoot you that information. Uh, and uh, any last parting shots, anything we should share before we sign off today? Um, I am a total outsider in the real estate industry, and I'm trying to break in. So if someone um, wants to talk and hang out, I am all ears, and they can tweet at me, and we could talk. I, uh, I'm in the process of buying some multifamily places in St. Louis, or at least I'm trying to be in the process. And so uh, I'm always trying to get in on that. I think, uh, and I'm trying to meet as many people as I can so I can kind of learn it. Cool. We'll talk some offline about that. So uh, all right, Next Level Podcast listeners, thanks for uh, tuning in today. I'm sure you enjoyed this. And uh, don't forget, uh, hustle.co and trends.co. Go there and uh, check out very, very cool stuff. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you. And action. Oh. Hey, it's Kevin and Fred. Do you have a referral for us here in Phoenix? There are 30,000 agents here that you could send them to. Why us? Well, for one thing, we'll keep you updated and you'll never have to track down your commission. We'll also make you look really good to your client. And best of all, it helps us keep all this content free. So go to kevinandfred.com slash referral to make the introduction. We'll take great care of them.